It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable podcast. This is podcast number 645. My name is Eric Nelson. With me today, I have my favorite co-host. Today is Wednesday, March, May 17th, and my favorite co-host is, drum roll, Corey Romero. Corey, how are you doing today? Well, Eric, how are you? Uh, excellent, excellent. Uh, everything's good now. The weather's good, so I don't think we have to do any more of the weather reports. Everybody happy living in uh, no longer soggy, snowy, crazy land, but actually just fairly good weather. Yeah, it's nice here in Utah as well. Yeah, it's nice and sunny, warm. Yeah, no snow, snow, which is good. A little bit of rain, which is good. Good, oh, yeah. good. Some weather. Julia, you might want to pop up Corey's volume a little bit. He seems kind of light in my headset, but uh, maybe maybe that's just me. But check the audio levels on Corey just to be sure. Uh, and uh, let's get get into the news. What's actually happening? Color of the Bay. You know, it's beautiful, sunny here. A little bit chilly. You know, in the '60s and Ooh. early '70s. So uh, happy times here in the Bay Area. The color of the Bay is just a nice murky brown because we have some wind. And it's only about two feet deep in some places. So it kicks up the mud and, you know, the water's still running off the hills. So things are pretty, pretty, pretty muddy in the Bay Area today. So that's the color of the Bay. Uh, Corey Romero, any news on uh, the V-Expert front? You know, I don't have any V-Expert news. The only news I do have are uh, blog pass um, um, uh, results will go out uh, next week. Um, I, I do have one update. We can talk about V-Expert. Uh, for V-Expert applications, um, one of the things that we did add is a pending application status. Um, so the, for the upcoming applications that are going to open up next month in June for the second half, uh, if we need additional information in the application and we don't receive any uh, you know, communications back from you and we reach out, uh, we do have a pending status um, for the application. And what that just means is, is the application is just you know, pending uh, you know, additional information clarification um, from either side, and then we can uh, we can go from there. But yeah, that's that's all I've got for the expert this week. Cool. Well, the news on uh, what's going to happen at Explorer is ramping up. I know that the call for papers, we got uh, V Brown Bag papers in. I think we've got like 40 plus uh, V Brown Bag uh, submissions for the community theater at uh, Explorer in Vegas this year. So that's exciting. I know that uh, V Brown Bag also has the call for papers open for Explorer in uh, Barcelona. That's That's also open. So we're excited about that. The hackathon was also announced. Look on the social channels. We've been retweeting that. The hackathon is happening this year, and we've opened it up for teams and uh, coaches and leaders and judges. I think they're announcing the judges later this week. So the hackathon is a go. Uh, it should be a great event, and everybody's pretty excited about getting together and uh, doing some code again and uh, doing it in person. So we got the hackathon announced. Uh, the call for papers are up. We've got 
got code submissions happening as well. So if you have technical topics that you want to get a presentation in the theater at Explore this year in Vegas or Barcelona, get that in. You can go Google and find the links uh, on that. We've been tweeting that out on social as well. Uh, I know we've got uh, X number of... Um, Submissions, it's like, like 15 code topics in so far for the sessions. Those sessions tend to be 30 to 45 minutes. So I think this year we only have like 30 slots and I think five of them we've had to give to spring one. So maybe 25 slots for the code topics. We are giving you more time to do a deeper dive on the code topics. So if you got a great topic for automation, either on Kubernetes or on PowerShell or any other automation, uh, V-Realize automation, or I guess we're calling it ARIA these days, ARIA autom automation topics, we do have them. Just to set this, the record straight on passes this year, we're not getting a lot of free passes from the, the events team this year. Um, so understand it's Vegas. You can get free, low flight prices to Vegas. I know that you can get super cheap rooms at the Excalibur, which actually got voted one of the best low-cost hotel options on the Strip these days because they upgraded. They redid the rooms, but they kept their price at like $25 a room. So I would strongly uh, encourage you, if you're on a budget, to get to the Excalibur. Um, but we aren't going to be able to get you passes to get in. We might buy a bundle of maybe 10 passes to give away to some people if they absolutely got a really kick butt uh, topic session that they're going to be doing and we really want you there uh, we might put you on a list but it's going to be few and far between so understand that Corey I think you experienced the same thing for blog blogger passes you know we had a cut down number of 25 from 50 so they're just you know making you pay for things as we go here so be aware of that Last thing before we get onto our show today, which I haven't talked about the topic yet, I'll get there, um, is the call for papers for Europe will open up in the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, I know the B Brown Bag already has that open. The code uh, call for papers will get announced as well as the hackathon for Europe in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned there. Going to be fun. We've got the hub area with all the community people engaged. We're going to do some really cool things in the hub this year. So we're going all out. So I would listen to this podcast. You should definitely, you know, figure out how to come on your own. If you can't get your company to sponsor it, uh, go the cheap route and uh, we'll be there and it's going to be a great time. So a lot of cool things we're going to be doing, a lot of great learning and of course all the sessions and everything else. With that, Merging security with modern applications, observability. We've got Clemens Kolbich uh, on the show today. He's a senior staff engineer with uh, X Labs. So we'll talk to Clemens. We need to know whether X Labs is a as is a VMware X Labs or is there an X Labs somewhere else? I know we'll let him explain that. Uh, but I think he's out of VMware because he published his blog on the Octo office of the CTO blog, octo.vmware.com. So Clemens, welcome to the show. Always great to have new people on the show, especially engineers. We always ask, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how long you've been at VMware, and what does your career arc look like? Where, where else have you worked? Did you go to college, go somewhere? Give us a little bit, tell us about yourself. Sure. Uh, thanks, thanks, sorry. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. So yes, uh, Xlabs is within VMware. More specifically, we're part of the office of the CTO, Diocto, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about what that means, but maybe a little bit about my, my background to start off with. 
So um, essentially, I have been at VMware for not quite three years, but my journey into security, because that's kind of my my area, my strength, started already back at college uh, and academic times. But essentially, I dove into system security and more specifically malware analysis. You know, back then end of the, the 2000s, uh, essentially, we were looking like, how does malware behave and can you just like throw them into a sandbox and say if a program is good or bad? So that's kind of my background. And from there, um, we actually started a, a small security company. I mean, beginning it was small called LastLine. Uh, so the idea of LastLine was we monitor your network and we find any files, any emails that enter and we analyze them and we alert you of any anomalies or any maybe weird documents that you might be receiving as email attachments, or maybe there is already malware in your network and we can identify it's communicating over command and control. And, you know, malware evolved in, you know, the 2000s. And so, of course, my career evolved with them where we, you know, started looking into maybe you know, scripts embedded in Word documents uh, uh, or, you know, like malware encoded as JavaScript, as VB code, things like this. But, you know, more and more and more, my career uh, broadened into general network monitoring where, you know, we were monitoring very large uh, enterprises for malware and, and blocking that, you know, bad things happen if malware gets in. Um, and so because this, you know, uh, last line became interesting to VMware and we were actually acquired in 2020, you know, just as the pandemic was started, um, was started we were acquired into NSVU and we came, uh, became part of the NSX portfolio. So, you know, now the last technology technologies integrated the uh, advanced threat protection part of NSX security and kind of how I got to VMware. Now, from there, you know, I kind of wanted to spread more uh, my, 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 my interests and generally look into security and networking security. And that's how Project Trinidad, which had just started in the, the Xlabs division, uh, which is all about network security, uh, it caught my interest, and I actually moved over and uh, lead over here now. So we can talk about this project Trinity that does, you know, what does it do? But my responsibility there is really being the tech lead, understanding what are the problems we need to solve, coming up with innovative solutions, and you know, kind of guide the team into how, how we can do east-west visibility using um, data collected from modern applications or you know workloads running on Kubernetes. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's just like an acquisition. Your career is technology acquisition into VMware. What's your thought on VMware coming from the outside in? What's your impression so far? I'll tell you my impression just at the stage here. My impression when I came to VMware was I came from Sun Microsystems, which was a new company. They were basically, if you want to do anything, you had to get like uh, boards and councils and you know you had to present your project it was like doing a phd to get approved and to do anything you want to do at vmware so when i came to vmware it was almost the opposite it's like a yes company everybody can do it you can do anything you want right uh, but be careful what you wish because you can get yourself you know soon you're every wind and you know your wife would divorce you and you're you're life messed up because one tells you about this company other than everyone will come and yell at you after you've done something so what's your interest coming into vmware what, what's your exposure to the ecosystem what do you think about so it's interesting i have a very similar experience but with a very different background because, you know uh working in a small startup almost the beginning for 10 years you know 
everyone works super, super hard. And so you know, my wife actually had the, the opposite problems. No, Clemens, you're coming, you know, you're coming home now. It right. is 8 p.m. Um, and coming into VMware was very interesting. First of all, because, you know, everybody at the beginning of the pandemic was, of course, starting to work from home. So were we. But it was not only that change, also changing from knowing that the 50 people directly work with, working in an environment with, you know, 40-ish thousand people, uh, you know, having very few resources and, you know, really fighting for each individual customer in the previous company to have this massive amount of resources and, you know, having all these super exciting customers that, you know, are already using uh, VMware and might want to use your, your product now too, right? So that was a, a very perspective. Um, but also what you're saying, being a, a yes company, I mean, it was incredible. Just the um, the way that you know we we had epic value and we really you know we pushed them, we lifted them. It was super exciting to be part of this and also explore in a community of you know forty thousand people. Just seeing other people with similar interests, people that work from you know I mean sunny Santa, sunny Santa Barbara, people who live here. What do they do, right? How can we get together uh, with all these new colleagues? It was pretty exciting, and I'm super happy to be at VMware. Nice, nice, nice. And so, uh, one more question before we get into Prop Trinidad. Um, where do you live? So, I'm in uh, Santa Barbara County, a little town called Guida. For those of you who went to UCSB, they might be very familiar. Guida is just a town right next to the UCSB campus. I live here with my beautiful wife, a two year old toddler. So, my days are very, very active now. That's a great place to live. It's one of my favorite places in California. You come down the mountain on the 101 and you come around and all of a sudden you're looking at the shoreline right there as you come in. You're I like, exactly I just want to live right in that little town and just look at that. I feel like it's like uh, maybe uh, Ernest Hemingway, uh, whatever that fish, the fish or I forget what the fish stores were, where he goes out and wrestles a fish. And I feel like there's that. It's like that was that story was written at that beach. Beautiful area. Yeah, really, really, really jealous. Of, of the weather down there in general, right? It's like really, yep. yeah. All right, so Project Trinidad, one of the things, you know, what inspired the idea behind the project? Why don't you just tell a little bit about the project and uh, your role in it and uh, how did you get there? Absolutely. So yeah, let's uh, maybe set the age a little bit, right? Um, so first of all, you know, we keep calling it a project. I just want to make sure people understand what we mean by that. So one of the important things of Octo and specifically labs uh which is you know a group within the octo is we want to explore what problems exist but not problems that our customers have, have existing products but really problems that will arise in the future and we want to be ready for those problems and want to come with solutions that work for customers and the idea of x labs is not to build a product today but we want to build a project that maybe someone could try out or they, 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 they use it in some form, give us feedback and say, hey, look, the idea is good, but maybe the execution is bad or maybe the, the, it doesn't quite work for me. So we get customer feedback very early. Then when we see, hey, this product has potential, customers like it. Then we try to mature it into a product then customers can use it. And so Project Trinidad is exactly at that stage where we're trying to come up with some sort of a trial that customers could use, give us feedback, and then see how can we integrate in as many different products, environments, so our customers can later use it. So what is Project Trinidad? The idea is 
to help with EOS security. So let's say you have an application that you deploy on Kubernetes, uh, and you want to find out, you know, is this application secure? Or was the attacker able to compromise say, one of the container pods and is executing its bad, um, of, you know, what it wants to do, maybe exfiltrate data, things like this. And so typically in the past, people have looked at this more from a system perspective, right? Where you say, oh, there are a bunch of VMs running in your, in your data center, and we observe how VMs interact with each other from, from the net perspective, or we say, what things does a malware do on a host, right? It, it, it disables security tools. It, it installs itself in auto start and things like this. And those are all super, super valuable things to do. However, as more and more workloads are moved into Kubernetes, it actually becomes very difficult because some of the concepts that we've had in the past just don't apply anymore. For example, if you think about, you know, what is an IP uh, in Kubernetes, right? Pods come and go all the time. Uh, you know, cleaners, there are multiple instances running it. And today, maybe they're in, in one cluster, tomorrow somewhere else. So it's very hard to use existing solutions and apply them to modern workloads. And so the idea of Project Trinidad is to have some type of data collector that monitors in a very non-intrusive way your Kubernetes workload or your uh, this workload how do these pods talk to each other, right? So let's say it's an application, let's say there's, you know, 50 different services, there's a thousand pods, you know, making up these services. And we can say, today we learn how do these pods interact? You know, maybe there's service A talks to service B and they always follow a certain pattern and you know, maybe exists a certain type of data. And we can learn what does your application look like? What does it behave in most circumstances? And then we can say, all right, that we've learned this and how we can dive in details, but you know, mostly with machine learning, we can in the future say, if we ever see that your, uh, your application behaves completely different, well, that's not good, right? And we can say, well, is it because one pod was compromised and that pod now weird we've never seen before and we want to alert this, or is it because your software up updated, right? So we have to be a bit smart about finding anomalies. But the whole idea is monitor your workload, learn it does, and then, you know, find the noise and identify are these noise security relevant and alert the customer. And so you can see this project is, you know, it's like we have to anticipate what type of problems can you, what types of security threats are there on EMS strike on modern workloads. And there are tons of products, right, that VMware has with this multi-cloud strategy. Like how can you fit to these things? different products, and in the future, maybe extend the products to the type of security monitoring, right? And so that's the type of that an X project does, and specifically Project Trinidad's uh, Trinidad does this on East-West security visibility. And so my role in this is what we call the tech lead. Essentially, we need to make decisions. How do we monitor applications on Kubernetes? This is actually far from the field. Or how do you learn what normal? And you know, we decided to use a combination of heuristics and mostly machine learning to do that. But then, all right, you know, saying let's machine learn this problem is actually pretty difficult, right? There's tons of different uh, machine learning patterns out there, like types of machine learning. And we have to understand what direction what do we, we want to go. We want to validate idea, you know, try them, fail fast, try something. Else. And my responsibility is to say, all right, what are the things that we're trying out? And kind of what is the architecture that we're building? Always keep in mind, the problem we want to solve, coming up with cool ways and things could work, 
and then also unending just what is the VMware following? And in the future, how could we integrate this into these existing products? So working those things, understanding the type of data they, they have, and how could we merge different features in the future to make new products? Yeah, I, I like it. Machine learning is a is a big thing, and I, I think that I was looking at the article, which I'll, I'll call out again, octo.vmware.com. Just go there and search a project, uh, Trinity, Dad, and you'll see a couple articles. And uh, the one that we're looking at is a long topic called Project Trinidad Merging City with Modern Applications of Observability uh, Part 3 ML based workload security. But you can just go Google it on Octo. Uh, they have a search thing. You don't have to Google it. You go to octo.vmware.com, search uh, on the blog article. There's a search there. Search on Trinidad. You'll get to all about this. I'm looking at the the part three here. And, well, actually, I had a couple of these up. Um, I'm looking at the, the API schemas, right, and the schemas in general. Probably it's back into when you're. Def I get. I think that they're machine learning, but you also allow some pre configuration of what I think my network traffic is going to be, so they can set up what I believe is the common behavior. For or even start running machine learning on it? Right. It's, it's an interesting question because we, we had a lot of discussions around this. So our current focus is actually no. And the reason is not that we don't allow you uh, to configure something, but we actually don't require you. Because one of the problems that we see is a twofold. First of all, people don't want to take a security solution deployed in their cluster and now have to go and configure things. Yeah, and that's yeah. a huge issue. Right. The second problem, however, is put yourself in the shoes of uh, a DevOps or, or a SecOps persona in a large organization. They govern many Kubernetes clusters, tons and tons of services. They might not actually know what are these services that are deployed, right? They deploy the version one to three, and it works, right? And so the security solution should be the same way. So the idea that we have in the, the project Trinity is really want to be as easy to deploy as possible and then automatically infer all the things that we need to know to make things happen. And so, you know, just briefly hinting at API schemas, which is actually one of the value props that we think is going to be super useful. Because one of the, I mean, machine learning is awesome, right? I mean, we all know gonna like this day, it's just machine learning is everywhere. One of the problems is you need a ton of data and you need time to build models that you know reliably understand what is your workload but the key things that you can actually do very very quickly is to give a human some sort of visibility into their cluster today very often they don't have and so one of the things that we do as part of project trinidad is once we learned a little bit about the once we've captured a little bit on how your pods interact with each other or your microservices talk to each other we can actually extract the HP API fully automatically for you. So uh -huh. we can do literally saying, this is your cluster. Let's say there's 17 namespaces. There's actually 14 groups of pods, of deployments, replica sets, of whatever. They talk to you. And here are the API endpoints that they use. And so that tells you, oh, I am now understand how my work actually taught you, right? I literally see what are the, the, the URL that they invoke against each other, what types of parameters are. And so as part of our very early training, we actually infer these keys. We you know, determine what are the URLs that, that are used to talk to each other. 
for each of these endpoints, what type of data is changed? What are the parameters that they send to each other? For the parameters, what are their, their types? So we can very quickly identify, look, maybe seven API endpoints that are interesting. They seem all to be using HP tokens for authentication, things like this. So very, very quickly give you confidence in not only, oh, project trim that is active monitoring, right? Because as you imagine, you deploy the project, and then you need to wait 48 hours to find out, oh, machine learning has now trained itself sufficiently. No one within minutes to say, oh, I see data in, I see this thing is working in show value, right? So we immediately give the user, the DevOps or the SecOps persona, this, this overview of what is in my cluster and what type of information are we gathering? And that immediately paints a picture that these people uh, can use. And they actually completely inside of possible security alerts that they will get or might get. They immediately have value. They didn't know how these services work together. If you're the developer, you know how it works. But a DevOps person, they just deploy the product and they wouldn't know how to concentrate. So that is a very useful uh, thing right here. The API schema discovery is this integral part, a very early start uh, after deployment. Nice. That makes sense. And I guess I back up and go like, so how do, does one get the quote project and implement it, right? Do I run it at VM? Do I run it? At, how how are you distributing? Do I go to GitHub and compile it? What's the way to get started in engaging with Protrinity? Right. So um, right now we're testing this internally to VMware because you know there's tons of teams, of course, that use Kubernetes, and um, we're still refining this. Okay. In the part of the year, we're actually aiming for a a trial way of using uh, this this project in a way that customers can use it give us spec and so i can't do the exact details of how sure. that will work but at the later um, end of year uh we'll have visibility for the community to try it out and i'm sure there's going to be plenty of announcements so you know uh keep an ear open for you know project trade that how that will work but yes the idea will be you can essentially get the kubernetes management maybe we can talk about like how it will work right not just like how they get invited to trial because we will announce this. Okay. But the cool thing about and can into more details of this is actually the way that you can install this is super easy. Because one of the ways that we thought is, is important is when you data collection, it is done in a very non-intrusive way. Because one of the biggest issues if you deploy a serious solution or any observability to that matter is if you have to change your application to make that tool work, I think we've already lost, right? The idea be it's as non-intrusive as possible and we keep like our internal like like mantra for like how will this work? You click. One is download a set of Kubernetes manifests, and the second is actually to cataloged those manifests. And the idea is that we use EDPs behind the scenes to essentially insert all the Kubernetes nodes uh, of your workload cluster, and essentially we expect all the HD data we need fully automatically without any change to you, to your application. And I think uh, at this point, we're pointing out there's actually an amazing open source uh, technology out there called Pixie. We use this EBF to do exactly this. They allow like zero instrumentation deployment um, of a data vector, and we partner with Pixie to do that collection. And then we essentially have a suspect um, service where we stream HTTP data securely to the suspect end, and then we do the analysis, the, like the learning and the anomaly detection for customers.
I'm also looking at a blog. There's a part one, part two, part three. So everybody should start with part one and go to part two and part three so you don't end up with the API section like I did and and, and go backward. Um, what things that you talk about is the worst day ever, right? In, in a, there's not enough yep. copies the, the, the title of the blog. And I get it. When a, when a bad day happens, it's it's a nightmare, right? Um, and, and you have a section here called Regaining Control, right? Does Project Trinity help you figure out how to regain control? So in a way, yes, but the beauty is in a way, Kubernetes does a lot of that for us, right? So, you know, a lot of people ask us, oh, so can actually Project Trinity that go ahead and let's say we've learned very reliably what is the normal way and now we see abnormal behavior, right? So will we go and shut down, let's say, kill a pod, force it to restart? And the answer, at least right now, is no. The beauty uh, by having all the, the context on, you know, what pod is misbehaving, we can give very clear description of why do we think something is anomalous and tell which deployment is it. And in Kubernetes, right, it's literally a, a cube cuddle delete pod or something to restore its original state, right? But with three solutions, it's a lot about how much would uh, a DevOps person trust a security solution to automatically do that, right? Intervene automatically and let's say killing a pod is incredibly dangerous, right? It could take on your workload if, if it makes a wrong decision. So yes, it helps you by identifying what art is compromised and telling you exactly where you need to go and fix things. But then uh, a devs would have to go and actually do that. The other thing that is really interesting though, though is, you know, I was talking about before like exposing API schemas, but generally we learn how your, how, how does your workload, you know, interact and from this, you can arrive other things that can help you put, you know, uh, add security. For example, ladies has uh, uh, network policies, right? And I don't know how many, or I, I do know, but there's many people that don't use network policies. And so by knowing how do pods interact, which parts of your services talk to each other, you can actually start writing network policies and at least further restrict kind of, you know, how are pods able to talk to each other? And of course, really tighten your control over your workload and attackers have a much harder time, um, you know, like doing nefarious things um, when they can't, for example, access your database or can't access certain APIs that they shouldn't be able to access. Right. Right. So one of the things that I look at Carlac, I look at NSX security, we have security stuff all over the place. How does this fit into the overall, you know, way of tackling security at VMware? Right. So I think it's really, um, it, it really complements it. And so, you know, time um, with Carbon Black, of course, it's, it's more like looking at the behavior of individual processes or, or, or you know, VMs like this. And, and NSX is more on the the, the system or on the like system side, right? Where you understand how do different IPs talk to each other? How do different VMs or groups of things talk to each other? And I think we really dive one bit further, right? API security is really important to really get the context of not this IP does something, but really this IP belongs right now and maybe not in five minutes, just pod within this workload. And so by being a very, Kubernetes-specific solution has context that a lot of other uh, products today they just don't have, right? So it's really important to be so focused on the context that Kubernetes has, and of course we're really focusing on API security, EPS traffic, 
where you know NSX looks on the network side, but we dive really layer deeper, right? We really look into the application protocol and, and understand the, the weird things that are happening. Another thing that is also really important to point out here is EPF is incredibly powerful. So while let's say SEX is you know pure on, on the network side, um, you know, we're using eBPF on Kubernetes, you know, we have like NSX has to deal with all types of workloads, right? We can say specifically we support Linux-based uh, kernels underneath uh, Kubernetes, and we can use that fact, right? eBPF actually allows us to have probes and extract data from within an application, meaning that we could, if we want, to look at AB before it gets encrypted. If you're really on the network, you only see encrypted traffic. So by going into the application, we can do much more on the layer seven protocol and really understand how different product, uh, how different pods talk to each other. So that kind of really sets us aside from these solutions. The other thing, you know, VMware really decided to be multi-cloud. We try to say we standardize on Kubernetes. So you know, we want to be able to be done any type of Kubernetes. Uh, of course, we have the technical requirements to be on Linux uh, because of CBPF today. But you know, we try very broad, which really fits into the security strategy or the overall strategy of VMware being multi-cloud. Yeah, you you cut me off on my question. I was going to ask that. Well, like, okay, oh, you know, how many? No, but it's good. You didn't cut me off. You just estimated my next question and addressed it, which is, you know, like. What platforms are you going to be on? What Kubernetes are you going to support? What that? It makes your fabric below at the network layer, so you would, you know, manage all the different payloads, Kubernetes versions, Linux running on top right. of that that you could you could manage that properly. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, technically, it's you know the requirement that we make is essentially we are yeah, on Kubernetes and we are able to install eBPF probes. eBPF has been around for ever, right? like seven years or so, of course, and you know multiple revisions, but any modern Linux kernel should do. Most Linux distributions have EPF support uh, enabled. So that would be fine out of the box. Uh, so you know, as long as these two requirements were, were good from the data collection side, and then any of the more recent Kubernetes versions that you know we're able to talk to API, gather the metadata that we need, should be this one. So we have, on, on the standard Linux distributions, we have not seen uh, any issues so far on being deployed there. And right. I'm going to yeah. switch gears a little bit because uh, we'll run out of time, and I want to I want to step back a little bit. I, most people listening can go now look at the blog and go find it and uh, read about it. And your your team lead help making that happen. Question for you: In your world, have you seen instances of places where Kubernetes clothes have been hacked, and you've had? issues around vulnerabilities where damaging things actually happened. Uh, kind of your knowledge of the industry, what have you seen in the space? What's your good stories? Right. So, yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it, um, my background, you know, was in, in malware analysis and now I'm in the Kubernetes world and really those two is a, 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 a scale combination, right? Especially if we think of uh, things like Bitcoin mining, uh, it is it is very scary, right? If you have any attackers access to your Kubernetes cluster, there are tons and tons of you know off the shelf Bitmine uh, Bitmining tools that you they can deploy on your cluster. So you know if and that is unfortunately real world things that happen. Uh, attackers get access to uh, your credentials, which really is an issue with east west traffic. They can just start deploying things on Kubernetes cluster. 
and start costing you tons of money, right? So there's just like the, the financial aspect of infinite scaling and you know, resource for free for the attacker is a huge issue. That's interesting. Like when we talk multi-cloud and if you could get into some sort of AWS services and actually, you know, deploy more pods, get more workloads spun up because using more CPU utilization and they're actually auto-deploying to handle that workload, you could see a you know a million dollar bill shop after two two weeks of running on AWS yeah. without even knowing that this was actually happening. Correct. So yeah it's um, this 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 almost real time monitoring is is super important and, and and automatically finding issues like this, right? And there are there are tons of things when we talk about Kubernetes observability that we can do in terms of security, right? And in a way, a lot of people think of ops problems, right? Like see you, like the service is being slow, but if a service needs to scale up tenfold, is that because one of the services is too slow and we need pause, or did somebody launch things that shouldn't be there, right? And so that's the thing that we help with, right? I mean, you say people just detect things that haven't been there before. Yes, you know, we look at network and how things interact with the other we automatically find such things as well, right? So it's really nice if you understand how is your workload supposed to behave and find any deviations from it as a, um, something that triggers an alert. There's many things that you can, uh, you know, that you can cover with this, including any sorts of zero days or, you know, completely unexpected security vulnerabilities or deploying random new things into your cluster. You get to meet with customers as part of the engineering development process, do you? To meet with customer times and is there a knock so there's that are telling you you know this is what we need up to see to be able to fit this into our operating process or monitoring the network so specifically on project trinidad i haven't talked to customers but to uh, several partners you know, you know i was just uh, came back from kubecon eu and you know you talk to ton people there right um but of course also just in my my pre-life uh in in nss and the line Secure solution, of course, talk to several customers, uh, but we also have an amazing, you know, product management team who take care of all of that. Oh, and the right. They talk about, you know, what are the problems and they listen very, very carefully. And it's, it's, it's exciting to see, right? People, like I literally got, I was on a call with a partner, I think a week ago and it's like, this is exactly what we need, right? So it's like, yes, a lot of the, many large organizations, they sometimes trail a little bit behind in terms of the text that they use, right? And they large companies might not all run everything on Kubernetes. They know where they're going, right? They, they want to hear what are the problems that they will encounter. And the fact that VMware can be ready and help them with these problems is super good to them. Yeah, that's a, that, that's interesting. So you're busy in the development phase, uh, running inside of VMware. Um, what are some of the challenges you have when we're trying to build this stuff that uh, that you guys had when it comes to you know technology? Right. So one of the, 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 the interesting things is real world applications. It's actually not that easy. You, right? You'd assume, oh, you know, just take any any application and run it for testing. Well, we want to be able to to make sure that this this project, you know, it scales to you know hundreds of native nodes, you know, thousands of pods. Uh, realistic working applications. And sure, you know all these, you know, adding those to sock shop application for Kubernetes and the online boutique and the whatnots, right? But very simple applications, customer workloads are very, very 
they're difficult, right? There's different versions. There's like weird stuff happening. You do not anticipate for whatever legacy reasons, things work weird, right? And so having realistic data sets is actually not that easy. And so of course we started in data sets and we, we set up our classes, we run our own uh, little applications and we do, we generate workloads, but it's never quite really. It was actually super getting to interact other teams in VMware that run actual workloads and do their thing and just be able to deploy all those clusters and monitor it for them, learn from, or, you know, build our training um, or do our training on their data sets. Another issue that, um, that they have is, you know, typically when people talk about, hey, you know, machine learning, they think about, oh, there's this one machine learning model that, you know, identifies apples and identifies whatever, right? It's one big machine learning thing that takes care of the problem. Now, in Project Trinidad, the, the issue is, we want to learn workload behavior. We want to learn what does your workload look like, right? And your workload is something, is an orchestra of different products, product versions that are very unique to you as one customer. And so our learning actually needs to train on more data sets. And we need to train individually on all these customers and all their sets. And, you know, it's one thing to train three models, another to train a thousand models because it means you cannot have an ML and you're to hold the model. Say, is it good right. enough? What are right. the false positives? Right. So you need to all make a lot of this. And so that's a super just technically challenging uh, problem to solve and to look at. Yeah, it's not like you're trying to AI press so it's one footprint of a, the car. We know that what the CPU is on the car. We know what the sensors are on the car. And so therefore we know what the camera sensors you're going to the base of there's thousands of little applications handwritten and you don't know the points and so you're like you need to learn this and uh and then i i i smile sometimes when uh i'm in the marketing buildings because i work in marketing uh and the, and they tell me about oh we'll just go talk to some other people in our building like right. unless you go to get into i practitioners who are starbucks or a bank who are running large numbers thousands of vms simultaneously you're not going to know what you're even talking about and i, I say nobody in our building can tell us how we run this stuff or use this stuff or, or the features we use because unless you're talking to customers on-prem, see architecture, and then get their feedback on how they use this stuff, we don't know because it's very difficult to your point of understanding how they're actually using our product, let alone the security model and everything talking here, looking and building a model to it. Uh, tell people that all the time that we at VMware have very difficult understanding how customers actually use our workloads because we can't simulate that in our build. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's neat. So that that would be a challenge. Um, how big is the, the, the team? How so many people you got working we're on question that We're going to collaborate with several different teams you know, across VMware, but essentially we are uh, three machine learning uh, people or three systems people. Uh, and you know, yeah, people looking at the UI, people doing UX, from manager. Nice. We're about eight to twelve people, however you want to count, but that's about the size of it. That's what they say. The outside of any engineering team it gets too big, and uh, you know, it gets very difficult to do that. Um, exactly. What do you, we always say as we come up uh, towards the you know the last fifteen minutes of uh, the podcast, we always ask where you're going. So what are your hopes? Uh, as you, Obviously, you want to get your project project out and, uh, and and launch it. But from a technology perspective, where do you think you're going? Uh, what excites you and what's your passion about solving additional problems? Right. 
So yeah, I mean, specifically for product Trinity, I want to get, you know, customer feedback, learn from it, and then see how can we fit it into existing products so, so the customers can actually in the future buy them, right? So that's the, the one thing that I'm very uh, excited about. And then in general, you know, XS is an amazing to work at because really we need to find problems that need to be solved, right? There's not a product version three that has 17 Jira tickets from yeah, right, customers right. that need to be implemented. Right, right. It's really, it's not only understanding here's a problem go solve is the question is like, ask yourself what problem exists? What hurts our customer, right? What do we need to do? And then, you know, customers will not tell you you need to do X. They will say, I hate that this doesn't work, but you need to understand it's like what they even mean. Do existing products, do they need to prove or do we need to build a new product for it? Or is there technology out there that actually solves the problem? So that really excites me. Understanding like where's technology itself? What are the problems that will come out of it? And you know, what solutions will there be? So one of the things that uh, this project go through, right? There is an there is there's this this phase to say what is the problem we want to solve? There's the phase of how can this be solved? And then if we can convince and you know, people within VMware is that it's a problem worth solving. We create a team, we come up with a solution, we present it, we try to implement it if everybody agrees to it. And then we see two customers kit and case be integrated into a product. Where does it fit? And that, that is super exciting, right? So, like all the time things evolve and you go with technology rather than sticking with something and just like always trying to make it better. It's like we need to spearhead the decision and tell. You know where are we going? So, other question that, that I've been thinking about, like um, I I look at uh, I ran the social media entities team. It's big, it's popular. When I started in two thousand five, it wasn't big and popular. Twitter didn't even exist, right? We sharing boards, upload and load, that kind of stuff. Transition to web in the in the early two thousands. All of a sudden, web showed up, and we could share. We had to elicit bulletin boards and have modem buzzing away. Um. I look at your now, which is AI and ML, right? Uh, you know, machine learning. And I feel like uh, GP chat uh, you know, turned this into like the host things and sliced bread. And I got to say that you're in this space and, you know, there's workloads, there's learning, there's everybody's trying to figure out NVIDIA and how to harness the, you know, the all those cloud resources from NVIDIA. To, like, are you seeing this explosion? You know, and I feel like ChatGPT just brought it to the forefront. What's your experience like now? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny. When I started in security, I, I think my dad just did not know what I was doing. It's like literally, he would still ask me why is Excel working. But I think nowadays it's different, right? People know about security. People know about machine learning. It is it is very exciting. People, it's interesting how you can start a conversation with non-L engineers. And people know it's very, very exciting. People actually understand what it means to use ChatGPT and things like this. So it is, it is super exciting, but it's also interesting to to identify like what types of problems can machine learning solve and what types of problems cannot solve, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes people overestimate what machine learning can do, or you know, like sometimes models are not meant to do certain things. So it's super exciting. To just like keep up with the research, but also see how you can apply different problems. Right, in the past that were not associated with machine learning, you can all bring together and, and and come up with new things 
uh, new 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 ideas. It's it's super exciting. It's, yeah. it's new every day. They can barely keep up with all the news, right? It, it, it's an interesting environment. Interesting. I was working on some slides. I'll talk security, but I was working on AIML slide last night because we're looking at what we're using it for. And I was like, yeah, we could use it for the VM code program. Where we could have ChatGPT write uh, PowerShell because it has PowerShell capability, and we could do labs around that. We could uh, we could get some sample code from ChatGPT, and uh, my slides got reviewed illegal last night because it's apparently you know it's a, it's going up the stack to executives, and it's just a little tiny piece. But we got back from legal, it's like, yeah, you can't say that, right? Because um, we don't own source copyrights to any kind of PowerShell that 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 AI would actually generate for us, right? And so we don't even know the, the validity of that code. You, you building samples and putting them out in a sample exchange and some, you know, AI engines building the code, like, no, we can't do that. And so there's all of this, it's super excited, but then when you get to the reality of what it, to your point of what it can, it can't do and what legally you're allowed to you know use it for and how is it actually doing it's some magic thing just happens well no there's actually things to do it's going code from the end and stuffing it into it's like it was fascinating to watch that play out right yep exactly and if you think about um, like these implications as well right machine learning models contain sensitive data so you know how do you share how do you like what they're trained on right and that's also one of the reasons per customer and you know sharing information across customers can be difficult but also can be dangerous so there's like a lot of things you have to think about in melville that is you know super exciting and, and hard problems to think about yeah um and security the other one on the security front is like i feel like ransomware has started impact a lot of people even small people like it used to be you would just you know you would have viruses they would infect your pc right. and you'd have to go deal with that and get a store or somewhere else send your disk somewhere get it restored get it unlocked whatever but it wasn't trying to you know get money from you or get coin from you now ransomware has turned into this you know depending on what size you have five thousand dollar to Forty thousand dollar payment to two million dollar payment, and that has just got every. That's like whiplash. Where we, whoa, you know, security used to be a thing. They wanted to make sure somebody was taking care of somewhere, so somebody right. my root password, and I'd have to right. restore from backups. But this whole ransomware explosion now has made it into, and it's part of Bitcoin and virtual currency, where this enable ransomware market to actually be be capable, uh, like. I feel like that also jabbed a needle of steroids into your as well, right? Whereas now yeah. that's also important. I mean, many, many, many things out of things like ransomware, but at least the old, like one positive things, it was always very hard to convince someone to invest into security. Right? That's right. You cannot see security until you have this moment where you wake up, it's like, I should have bought that solution after all. And ransomware at least put it, front and center of media for a very long time that people are now aware there are implications of not thinking about security. There are implications of thinking of security after the fact, right? True costs, so not just just maybes. No, this is like dollar values that get attached 100%. to it. Yeah. And you know, and that's the things that keep uh, people can talk about, right? With more and more API being used, this this that's one of the talk about in API security, right? That's what East West uh, security is all about. It's like there's more and more APIs out Kubernetes, that came even more. Right. So yeah. it just right. increases attack surface. So we need to think about this upfront. We need to help our customers understand this and do offer security solutions. You know, they don't have to 
configure and train for months or you know have a hard time install it has to be out of the box uh and help the customer all right so, i got i got one last question on this uh, coming from outside into vmware uh you know they last two years whatever like um i was telling people that you know what uh, multi-cloud if you really look at vmware is a perfect position to do multi because we write really great solid software right we must have good engineering best practices around building the code good because i find our product be rock solid beautifully designed good ues doesn't crash doesn't core dump um you get exposed to the engineering best practices how would you rate vmware's engineering best practices as far as code reviews and code elegance and so forth what do you think about that coming into vmware so um it's actually interesting we had um we pride ourselves in code review at my previous company and so our was very 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 high and so i was very happy that we were able to continue that bar with vmware and I think it's very different across the teams, right? I, I've not a ton of teams, so I can't speak to all of them, but I was very happy to see, you know, oh, there were code reviews and, and like this in, in the NSBU world. In X Labs, it's actually a very interesting uh, negotiation. We want to be able to explore things, right? We're not writing product code, we're exploring yeah. ideas and convincing people we still want to write unit tests, end to end tests, It is, especially with future engineers, it is. It's a tricky thing, right? You want a fine line of this is good enough, but it also means it's still maintainable two months from now when we'll have forgotten why we do this. We might change minds. The other thing I that I've with what we have, but yeah. it's fine to walk in research. I've also discovered in research products, it's fine line between it being a research project and being a product, right? That can that can tip over really quicker than anybody realizes and then you've got bad code in a early product because people didn't do the work up front in the project lot time and research project line java was away at sun right like if you talk to what name was i forget who funded uh java but you talk to him he's like it is a project it's got, got it's got bad code everywhere, right? I was just hacking things together, right? And uh, right. Um, and 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 that's one of the risks you have in a big company when you're doing these projects. If you don't do good code in in the early days, you could end up with something that's in product you didn't want to, but some SCB came down and said, "No, we're we're going to go with this," right? And yes, the, yeah. don't worry about it. It's a temporary bash file. It's like no, it never right. is. exactly. All right, we're nearly top of the hour. Three minutes. We do broadcast this podcast on youtube.com slash And uh, because we're there, you can go uh, check out what Clemens like. We live stream it. Most of the people are listening on iTunes just to the audio. But if you want to look at Clemens looks like and uh, see his blurry uh, background of his where the heck is Santa Barbara somewhere, you can go check him out on Barbecue, youtube.com slash uh, and to celebrate that, Clemens, we just have to ask people, and you're from, you know, mid-state, so you should be able to do okay on this question. Uh, do you do any barbecue, and if you do or don't, what are your favorite barbecue, or do you have a place you like to go to? Right. I heard that you guys talked about Traeger and how it worked in the rain in the past. So <laughs> yeah. being in Santa Barbara, I think I've, I'm doing quite a on my tri-tip on the Traeger, which is quite good. We've experimented with a lot of Indian friends, like East Spice, I can only uh, recommend it. It was amazing. But I'm originally, I'm from Austria. And so, you know, the summer starts with a good sausage on the milk. Oh. And a lot 
points in Turkey. So a good sujuk is definitely something to check out on your girl. Now, I come from LA. I lived in Calabasas for a lot of years and then moved up to the Bay Area to be in follow tech in Silicon Valley. And uh, tri-tip to me and the rubs that you have from, you know, Central California is amazing. And then the sausage, if you go to the good uh, barbecue place in the center of the seat, they just have amazing sausage at the same time. Oh, yeah, that's a, it's a great shout out. Man, that makes me hungry. Some good right tip with a nice rub is good. Um, Tony Foster, I know you're floating out there. Don't know if you have any barbecue report for us today. I do, but it's not going to compare. Uh, <laughs> this evening, I'm going to be doing pork burgers and some grilled bok choy. There you go. Grilled bok choy. That's nice. Uh, believe it or not, I I, um, I plant a garden and some of my lettuce um, up, and it turns out I didn't buy lettuce. I bought like some kind of bok choy things grown up. So uh, we we grilled it up last night, right? But uh, that's that sounds great. Uh, pork or so you grind up pork, or do you just buy pork? Pork? Do you do you take egg out of your Kansas backyard and then you know, <laughs> chop up something and maybe nice pork or you just buy i don't actually have uh uh any pigs or any livestock whatsoever um never have probably never will i uh but you're a judge in all these all these county fairs not that for sure you would have some livestock by now no i judge stem so computers and rockets and stuff yes damn judge and county fair what are you what good are you all right there you go pork burgers from uh tony foster clemens has got the traditional tri-tip and uh some sausage down there and uh down down by santa Barbara. that's awesome clemens thanks a lot for coming on the show if people want to follow you are, are you on social uh, do you have a handle how do people you know i know you have you post on the blog the office of cto blog that's a great series how else can people follow you anyway Go to all right, and I will spell Clemens C L E M E N S and Kolbich K O L B I T S C H. You want to follow, see what he's doing? Uh, go find him on LinkedIn and read his stuff. Uh, go for that, uh, Clemens. Thanks for coming on and sharing what you're doing. Sounds like a cool project. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. With that, uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, we will be back. Back in next week, as always, Wednesday noon to one, and we publish on iTunes and YouTube. Thanks a lot for being here. Uh, go get yourself a barbecue and have a great rest of your week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.